Let me pray for us and we're going to get into the word. Father, we are grateful that you are always with us. You're here with us this morning. Uh, You knew about this day, about this time, about this gathering of your people, even before you laid the foundations of the earth. And you knew exactly what you wanted to work in us, and you know exactly what you wanted to teach in us. You know it, and we trust you for it. And so we pray that you do your work, you do your teaching, and that we would be receptive to it. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My grandma was a really good cook, and uh, especially a a really good baker. She made the the best pumpkin pies. She made the best uh, Christmas cookies. And we knew that something was wrong with grandma when uh, her cooking started to taste off, right? And grandpa would, grandpa would say, oh, Phyllis, this tastes terrible. Uh, it's too salty. My grandma would forget. She started to forget that she put salt in there, and so she would put more salt in there. And come to find out, uh, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so I, I visited her several times, and the last time that I visited her, uh, she was pretty much, she was non-responsive, and she was slumped over, <laughs> and I remember walking in uh, and seeing her and asking God, why? Why would this happen? Why would you allow this? Why would you permit this to happen to one of your people? She was a wonderful woman. She played the, the organ for 40 years at her church, right? She's an amazing follower of Jesus. God, why would you allow this to happen? I sat with her held her hand, talked to her for a little bit, and then I was like, you know what? She did, she played the organ for 40 years, and so she was in a care facility, and so I went, I asked one of the nurses, do you have one of those little electric keyboards? And they they did, and so I I set it up, I plugged it in, I put her her hands on the keyboard, only one hand was on there, and I said, Grandma, I brought a piano for you, you want to play something? And she did. And she played an old hymn called, It Is Well With My Soul. I think one of the things in that, (laughs) one of the things is that God was answering my prayer of why. Why would you allow something like this to happen? Because he was saying that your grandma is more than just a body, right? She is more than just chemicals and and proteins and and cells existing in in skin supported by bones. That's not who she really is. Who she really is, who we really are, we call it the heart, the soul. And God reminded me that he was still at work in my grandma for that which is eternal. And reminds me that he is still at work in my grandma for that which is eternal. I know it for me, and I pray that it is for you as well this morning. This is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Our passage begins with the words, as he passed by. At the end of chapter 8, Jesus is moving himself away from the religious leaders who are wanting to kill him, and he's, he's leaving the temple. He, as he passed by, it's safe to say that, that they're most likely in Jerusalem, most likely near or right outside of, of the temple. As he passed by, it says that Jesus sees a man who is blind, and it says that he was blind from birth. Now think for a moment and put yourself in this man's shoes or, or, or try to. Try to think for a moment how, how difficult it is for anyone who's not able to see the, the challenges of that. But, but consider the, the compounded difficulty 
of being blind 2,000 years ago. There was, there's no braille. Without braille, there's, there's no education. No chance for this man to, to work toward any career. There's no chance for him to be trained as an apprentice to become a mason or, or a carpenter or a blacksmith. This man's parents are still alive. We meet them later in the chapter, but apparently they're not able to take care of their son for one reason or another because this man, it says, is a beggar. He can't see, and he has no one, it seems, to support him financially. So instead of education, instead of working toward uh, training for a career, he finds his spot every day, sits down, and begs so that hopefully he can eat for that day with his hand held out. To make matters even more challenging for the blind back then was that people who couldn't see were usually considered to be outcasts. Religious leaders at the time, they they didn't even want to touch the blind. The blind were viewed as having been cursed by God. The only logical explanation for them, if you were blind, for your affliction, was that God must have cursed you because of something that you've done. It It was thought that even an infant could sin in the womb and you would have the effects of that as God's affliction in your life. So here's a man who's born blind, uneducated, driven to beg, an outcast of of society, rejected by the religious leaders, and all of this was thought to be his fault, cursed by God because he had it coming for some reason because it was thought that he deserved it. And then Jesus passes by and it says that he saw him. Jesus noticed him. He looked at this man apparently long enough for his disciples to see that Jesus is seeing this man. Because the disciples ask Jesus a question about this man. They say, Rabbi, teacher, what's the reason? What's the, what's the cause of this man's blindness? Is it because he sinned or is it because his parents did? It must be either one of those, right? Jesus, what's the cause? What's, whose fault is it? Is it this guy's fault? Is it his sin or his parents? And I think Jesus is so quick to answer because this is probably something that this man has heard and experienced all of his life. For this man, it is neither of those. Blindness can be caused by a lot of different things. Things like birth defects, infections, Diseases back then, there was no effective surgical procedures. There's no, there's no antibiotics back there. There's several different reasons why someone could become blind or, or be born blind. They asked him, what caused this man to be born blind? Jesus could have talked to them about the cause. He could have explained to them about birth defects. They could talk about in detail, in detail, the human DNA and genetics, right? Or, or he could explain the, the general reason that there is human affliction. The general reason that there is sickness and disease and death, ultimately, yes, it is because sin entered the world. And because of that, generally speaking, all human affliction is the result of sin. Jesus could have spoken to the disciples about the cause of this man's blindness, but that is not why he stopped and saw this man. The cause, not nearly as important. It's not nearly as significant as the purpose We don't need to talk about the cause except to say that it wasn't because this man sinned or his parents. Now, this is not to say that there aren't any afflictions that are caused by specific sin. We know this. We know that sin can have horrible effects on us, and we can live with the consequences of sin in our lives, of choosing our ways 
rather than God's ways. And we know that these consequences, unfortunately, can even extend generationally. But we also know that many times we find ourselves face-to-face with affliction, with suffering and pain for no apparent reason. There are dark clouds and, and dark tunnels and dark valleys in this life that we, don't, that we don't choose, we don't see coming. But the purpose, Jesus teaches, is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he says something that he's already said back in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Several times in Scripture, God uses light as a metaphor to illustrate something so amazing, so powerful about himself. Because what does light do? It shines. And when light shines in the darkness, what does darkness have to do? It is driven out. Darkness doesn't have that kind of power, does it? If it's a light room and darkness comes along, darkness doesn't have the ability to turn itself on and drive out the light. Jesus is the light of the world. He shines and darkness is driven out. In the beginning of John, in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him, that is in Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It can't do it. Darkness cannot overcome light. Darkness is in subjection to light. And the light of Jesus is described as life. Even the darkness of death is driven out by him. The light of his wisdom, when he speaks, he shines. And darkness is driven out. He he speaks truth. And deception is driven out. Lies are exposed. And this is really important because what happens in darkness? We talked about this last week. What is it that we are not able to do in darkness? See. We can't see in darkness, right? And as they're talking about this man who is born blind, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and he's about to illustrate this truth in a very remarkable way, because as the light of the world, Jesus can heal the eyes of the blind. He sees this man, tells the disciples that the works of God is going to be revealed in this man, and then it says he makes mud, he uses his saliva, applies the mud to the man's eyes, and tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, why mud? All right, why why wash it off? It doesn't say. Right? We're, like, we're not told. There's all, there's all kinds of theories. We know that Jesus didn't have to do this. Right? We've seen Jesus heal with words. We've seen him heal with, with a thought from a distance. We've, we've seen him heal up close and personal with a touch. The fact is, Jesus heals as he wills. He heals as he wills. He tells this man, he puts mud on his eyes. He tells him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. And this man does exactly what Jesus told him to do. He went to the pool, washed the mud off, and in verse 7 simply says, he went and washed and came back seen. Jesus gives sight to a man who was blind from birth, complete restoration of his eyesight. This man testifies to the religious leaders later on in this chapter. We'll see it next week. In verse 32, he says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone, anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind, and yet here he is. 
his sight completely restored by Jesus. And he goes, he goes back to his neighborhood, maybe looking for Jesus, but definitely looking for the people that know him, that, 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 that he knows them at least by, by hearing, right, to be able to, to, to tell them, I can see. <laughs> Look at these peepers. I, I can see. And when he gets there in John chapter 9, verse 8, it says the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, they were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, impossible. It couldn't possibly be him, but it's like him. It's, it's his doppelganger, right? He, and he kept saying, I'm the man. I'm that same guy. And they say, well, if you're the same guy, then how in the world is it that you are able to see? He says, I don't know. He tells them, I, I mean, this man named Jesus, he he put mud on my eyes. He told me to wash in the pool, so I, I do. I, I come back, and I, I can see. And an obvious question to the story, then, is this, is then where is he? <laughs> we want to talk with him and at least confirm your story. But also, they, they probably want to meet Jesus, don't they? I mean, who wouldn't want to meet someone who just healed the eyes of a man born blind? Where is he? We want to meet him. We want to talk with this guy. And the man says, I don't know. I don't know where he is. I I don't even know what he looks like. I've never seen Jesus before. I mean, this guy, you think about it, no doubt he probably wants to meet Jesus again. He probably wants to see Jesus again. He, he probably has a few things to say to Jesus, like, thank you? Like, who are you? How did you do that? But he doesn't know where to find Jesus. This is where we're going to stop in the story for this week, we will continue the story next week in very dramatic fashion. But I will say this, a little bit uh, of a spoiler alert. Later in the chapter, this man doesn't have to find Jesus. Jesus finds him. And he has a very direct conversation with this man. He says, do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, well, who is he? And Jesus says, the, the one who is standing here before you, the one that you were looking at, the one that you were talking to. And the man says, I do. I do believe. He believes this man was born blind so that the works of God could be revealed in him. And many people, they look at the miracle of the physical healing of this man's eyes as the work. It's certainly true, right? I mean, Jesus healed the eyes of a man born blind, and in so doing, he does a miraculous work of God in this man's life. But are the works of God that are to be displayed only the physical healing of his blindness? I mean, what if today someone is sick? What if today someone is in pain with affliction, and they and they believe that God can heal them? They, they confess all their sins, and they pray, and they have other people pray for them, if God doesn't heal them, then are the works of God withheld from that person? Absolutely not. Do you remember what, John, what Jesus says in John chapter 6 about the works of God? The crowd, they said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Works of God like faith, like the conviction of sin, like, like the softening of the hearts of mankind and the drawing of those hearts to him, working in us for that which is pleasing to him, working on us for that which is eternal, like faith, like love, 
Not only is this man given physical sight to illustrate that Jesus is the light of the world, but he's also given spiritual sight. Jesus can open the eyes of the heart. He cures spiritual blindness. This is what we talked about last week. This, this man is given a kind of sight so that he can not only physically see Jesus, he sees Jesus for who he truly is as the Son of God and Messiah. And so he responds. It says that he believes and that he worships Jesus. In a sense, we could say that we are all born blind, spiritually blind. The Bible says that that no one seeks God, that we're all born into sin, that that we were all at one time enemies of God. We, We can't see, but that's okay because he's the one that looks for us. He's the one that finds that which is lost, and he does this by opening the eyes of our hearts, a work in our hearts, working for that which is both pleasing to him and that, is, and that which is eternal. In other words, he's always working on things that are relevant to the essence and the purpose of why he has given us life in the first place, always working on that which is at the core of our existence, the reason that we are here, the the end of the matter, that which is truly life. Nothing else matters in comparison. The challenge for us in a passage like this, in the teaching of Jesus where he tells us that this man was born blind to display the works of God, the challenge for many is that it's easy to say, well, I'd really much rather have my eyes. I'd rather have the use of my eyes, not, not to be a social outcast, not, to, not forced to, to beg this body, this, this world, this, this life of mine, my, my ease and, and comfort, having my physical senses and, and having full use of my physical body to enjoy my life. If we say these are more important to me than the works of God, then we're not able to understand this passage and what Jesus is talking about. If we say, wait, so the man is born blind and God is going to use that for his purposes to display his works? If we say that sounds unfair, I'd rather have my eyes, works of God displayed in struggle, in pain, the works of God displayed in suffering or the suffering of my loved ones, in difficulties, in in challenges, in disease, in illness, in death, if we say no, I, I'd rather have my health and my life and all the benefits of my five senses. I'd rather have that than the eternal works of God displayed in me Then it's easy for us to look at the story and say, I don't like it. I don't like it. It seems unfair. But just like my grandma, we are more than just a body. And our span of life is not limited by this body or by this world. We have eternal souls with eternal needs. And God is working accordingly, working in connection with the essence and the purpose of the life that he's given to us. Eternal things like faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, without belief in Jesus, there is no eternal life. Eternal things like like love. Like without love, it's a life wasted. If we have all kinds of success upon success in this life, and yet we don't have love, then we're nothing. It means nothing without love. There are things in this life that are more important than the things that we can see and touch and taste. 
This is why Psalm 63 says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. That relationship of perfect love that he has with us, it's better than life on this planet. And when our hearts begin to see clearly our eternal needs and begin to learn that Jesus is the perfect solution, he provides perfectly for those needs, then our soul begins to cry out, I want Jesus more than being alive. I want the treasures of heaven more than anything that this world has to offer. I want the works of God displayed in me and through me more than anything this fading world has to offer, more than this failing body has to offer. How else could we sing, it is well with my soul? Everything else is fading away. Everything else is failing. Everything is is crumbling around me, but it is well with my soul. This is the work of God. And this is the first step, isn't it? This is the first step. It has to start here. Because if not for a receptive, humble, dependent heart, a heart that recognizes its need, then we could be presented with all the evidence of Jesus as Savior and Son of God. We could witness miracles, as, as many people did during the life of Jesus here on this earth. We could see him restore sight to a man born blind. We could even see someone raise him from the dead. But if our hearts hate the light. If our hearts love darkness, then all the teaching of Christ, all the Bible reading and exposure to the truth, it won't matter, not without him changing the heart. And when he does, he begins to open the eyes of our mind as well. The eyes of our mind. So that the teaching of Jesus finds a place in our thoughts finds a priority in our minds, in our thoughts, so that we don't consider the cross as foolishness anymore, but as the power of God of salvation. See, for those who have hearts that can see their need, it also can see that Jesus is the light and the cure for our dark thoughts, for our dark perspectives, for our dark attitudes. He speaks Truth and deception is is driven away so that that we can think accurately about our lives. Why we're here? What are the things that really matter? What am I supposed to think about a man born blind? The disciples looked to him and they asked him, Rabbi, teacher, we have a question. Teach us. We need your input. We, We only see two options Right? We, we can't see a third. Is it because he sinned or is it because his parents did? Show us. Rabbi, teacher, teach us. Jesus continues to teach. He, he teaches us through his recorded words. He teaches us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, reminding us his words and taking those words and putting them deep inside of us in a way that is powerful, in a way that is supernatural. He can heal the eyes of our minds and reveals to us so much more than our physical eyes can take in. A couple of weeks ago, I was doing some uh, projects out in the backyard. I was working all day, and I just felt exhausted, and so I plopped down in one of the chairs, and it was facing towards (laughs) more work than I had to do, right? And I was just getting a little bummed out by it, just thinking, how man, this seems overwhelming, all these things I got to do, and this, this nonstop list that continues to grow with the home projects and things like that. 
And as I'm sitting there thinking all that and being all sorry for myself, then Nina, my daughter, who's 11, she comes out, and she's standing in front of me, and she's staring past me. And I don't really consider anything, but she's staring, and she goes, Dad, look at the sky. And I kind of turn my head like this, and I'll say, oh, yeah, it's cool. And she's like, Dad, turn your head and look with your eyes. And so I turn, and I look, and this is behind me, right? This, right? And Nina is just amazed by it. And I get up, I take this picture, and I'm standing there with her, and she's standing there, and we're staring at it, and she says, Dad, it reminds me that God is always painting. He's always painting. The beauty was right there. I just needed someone to point it out. And God, of course, is not just painting in the skies. He's not always painting just in the mountains or in the forest or in the oceans, but he's always painting his greatest masterpieces in the lives of those who are called according to his purpose and who love him. He's always painting works of art in the lives of his people. In the light of the world, Jesus can open the eyes of our mind. He can adjust our perspectives on how we view our circumstances to see them more clearly. John 9, verse 2. We'll take a look at that again. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, that the cause of whatever's going on is much less important than how God will use it and his purposes, even in difficulties, even in suffering. And I say that with such fear and trembling. I say it with, with respect and tenderness for, for anything that any of you have going on in this life or anything that any of your loved ones have going on in this life, but I say it not as the world says it. See, the world says if you find yourself in dark clouds, then you've got to look for that silver lining. If you find yourself in a dark tunnel, then you just need to find that, that light Sometimes that's not true. Sometimes the clouds are just dark, aren't they? Sometimes the tunnel doesn't have an end in a way that provides a solution or relief, at least in this life. Sometimes life is just hard. Sometimes there is birth defects. Sometimes there are diseases. Sometimes there's cancer. Sometimes there's fire, and it destroys everything that you have and takes loved ones. And the world says you just need to find something in those dark clouds as a ray of hope. You just need to find that light at the end of the tunnel and work toward it until you achieve that light. And Jesus says, I am the light. And I am in those dark clouds with you. I am in that dark tunnel with you. In the midst of it all, God was with my grandma. And he was painting something beautiful until her last breath. I've had the privilege of seeing this very same thing in many of you over the years. There are many in this room, many I know who are watching online. 
that even though the world around you is crumbling or has crumbled in some way, and even though we hurt with you, I've cried with you, it is, it is hard, but God is doing something miraculous and beautiful in you and through you. It is displayed in you for all of us to see and for all of us and the world to completely marvel at. A peace, a joy, a hope, a trust that only comes from the Lord's work in your life. And those of us who get the privilege to experience this and to see this in you, we, we marvel at it and we, and we marvel at the God who does this in your life and we are thankful for him, for it. This is why James can say, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for pure joy. When any troubles of any kind come your way, how is it possible? Because you know something else is happening. Because you know there's a testing of your faith, a a refining of your faith, an opportunity for something eternal to grow. Hebrews 10.34 says, You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. With joy. How? Because you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. This is to see with eyes of faith. To resist the temptation to lean on our own understanding, but use that sight that he's given us to, to trust him no matter what in all circumstances, in every single one, in all of it. Jesus can open the eyes of our mind and he can adjust our perspective so that we we see our circumstances differently than we would naturally be able to see. It is a supernatural perspective that he gives us. And he can also open the eyes of our mind and adjust our perspectives on the way that we view ourselves. Always painting on the canvas of your life an eternal kind of masterpiece, but it's easy to think, well, not this canvas. I mean, what could God do in me? What could God do through me? I'm just a poor, blind beggar, I, or I don't speak eloquently like Moses said. I have weaknesses. I, I'm an insignificant canvas. I'm a filthy canvas. What could God possibly paint in my life? As Jesus is passing by, he sees a man born blind. And guess what? He sees you too. He notices you. He moves in your direction. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you, speaking of God, you formed me, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. See, God has made every single one of us. He was there in the womb, intricately, by hand, weaving each of you together. And he doesn't make mistakes. Each of you are wonderful and beautiful, and God treasures each of you and has something beautiful that he wants to work in you and that he wants to work through you. He can open our eyes about the way we view others as well. Right? Because it could be tempting to look at somebody else and say, well, what could God possibly paint 
using them, right? Who sinned, right? God couldn't possibly use someone like that. God couldn't possibly use someone like, and then fill in the blank, someone that looks like that, dresses like that, lives like that, votes like that, drives like that, comes from a place like that, or someone who maybe doesn't add, in our estimate, anything to this society, a leech, isn't useful, no signs of success, not a valuable member of anything, you mean kind of like a poor blind beggar? See, Jesus is quick to answer. Miraculous works of God can be displayed in them too, to bring them to faith and to do something in them and through them. Don't write them off. This blind beggar who you think is is cursed and, and deserving of it, it is often through the most lowly, it is often through the most unlovely, in our own eyes at least, where the works of God are displayed so brilliantly. And for those of us who God has worked in, we're to be witnesses of that for others. Not to turn a blind eye, not to walk to the other side of the road, When it comes to others around us, one of the works that God does in us is he starts to create in us a heart like his own to begin to view others as he views them. As he passed by, he stops and he looks at this man. He doesn't ignore him. He moves toward him, motivated to help him both with his physical needs and ultimately his spiritual needs. And we, we as his disciples, he points them out to us too in our life. We see him looking at them and he points them out to us who are suffering, those who are lost. He points them out to us and he says to us, I have given my light to you. So shine, shine. I'm calling you alongside of me for the work that I'm doing to help those who are hurting and for those who are still in the dark. He calls us alongside of him for that work. I mean, what a joy, isn't it? What a privilege. What an honor. I'd like to end by reading a couple of psalms to to summarize what we've been talking about this morning. The first one is pretty well known. We sang about it this morning, Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That sounds nice, right? Quiet waters, green pastures. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valleys of life, whatever dark circumstances that you might be facing, whatever dark circumstances that your loved ones might be facing, he is there as a shepherd, tender, caring, holding, leading, healing, working. He's also there as our light. Psalm 139, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
How can our souls sing it is well? Because even though it is dark to us, it is not to him. And he is always with us. All of it is clear to him. He sees everything. We don't. It's clear to him. He, he knows what our souls need. The eternal things that we need, he knows these things and he knows how to provide them and when. We don't. We need his light in our lives. The Bible the Bible is described as light for our path, right? Rightly so, a lamp for our feet. Let that light shine in you as often as possible. Allow his word to, to illuminate your life by, by reading it, right? Memorize it. Study it with other people. Read it out loud with other people. Allow his word to, to permeate every dark corner of your mind and heart. Let his light shine in you from his word. And allow a listening ear in your life for the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word in you, to illuminate his ways, to illuminate his will for you. Listen to him and follow his lead. This is all the Lord's work in us. Right? If, we, if we want this in our life, to, to know that he has a, a purpose for us, even in our difficulties, even in our challenges, to rejoice even in difficulties and challenges, yeah, believing that he has something so much better, so much more eternal than anything this world has to offer. To believe this, then we need to go to him in prayer. Think about Jesus in the garden that night that he's arrested. Before he goes to the cross, it's arguably the, the darkest time in human history, the, the darkest valley. Matthew 26, verse 37 describes it like this. It says that Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. And then he, Jesus, said to them, that's Peter, James, and John, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Sounds dark, doesn't it? And he tells them, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face. And what did he do? He prayed. In the darkest valley, he goes to the Father whatever you might be facing, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, however dark it may seem, he is your light and he is there. You can talk with him. You can be honest with him. Pray for the desire of the work of God to be displayed in you. Pray, God, I want to know. I want to know that your love is better than life. Pray, God, continue to work in me so that it is well with my soul. Pray, Jesus, let your light shine into my perspective, remind me that you are, that you are always with me. Remind me that you, you see everything clearly and deepen that perspective in me. Continue to renew my mind. Pray, God, give me a desire for your words and take those words and illuminate the darkest parts of my mind, the darkest parts of my heart to go to him and to pray, Lord, open the eyes of my heart and mind, I want to see you. I want to see you with me. I want to trust that. I want to see you. I want to see you in the dark valley as I go through. I want to see you in the darkness of life. I want to trust your presence with me. Help me to rejoice in the work that you're doing, that you're always painting in me for that which is eternal. Father, this is our prayer. We look to you and you only for this perspective. We, we don't look 
to our circumstances. We don't look to see if there is a silver lining. We don't look to see if there is a light that we could work toward in our dark tunnel. We know that you are with us. We know that you are our comforter. We know that you are our shepherd, that you lead us and guide us, you protect us, and you work in us. Lord Jesus, we welcome that work. We want it. We pray that you work it in the lives of your people and that we are able to see it and so that we can rejoice in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.